0: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life.
1: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In this week's episode, I met with Peter Coppinger and Daniel Mackey of Cork Technology Group Teamwork, who last week scooped the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Their ambition is to create a $450 million revenue company over the next decade. Peter and Daniel tell me how they plan to achieve that goal and they also have some tips for budding entrepreneurs. In the second half of the show, Cliff Taylor and Dennis Staunton of the Irish Times explain the key elements of the UK budget, how it might impact on Ireland and how Brexit might force Chancellor Philip Hammond to tear it all up and start again. Now last Thursday, Peter Coppinger and Daniel Mackey of Teamwork.com scooped the prize of EY Entrepreneur of the Year as well as picking up the International Award. Founded in 2007, Teamwork is a software as a service company. It has more than 200 employees and customers include Disney, Netflix, Spotify and eBay. Their ambition is to grow the company into a 450 billion revenue business over the next decade with the potential for a stock market IPO. Now I'm delighted to say that I'm joined in studio by the EY Award winners Peter Coppinger and Daniel Mackey Jackie, John, you're both very welcome. I have to say, I've been going to those EY Awards now for a a long number of years, more than a decade, more than I care to remember, as the man says, and I've never seen two winners as pleased as you guys uh, were (laughs) on the stage that evening. And two people who also gave a huge uh, shout-out, not just to the other workers in the company, which you expect, but also to your family as well.
2: Uh, Cheers. I admire admire Harry last year. I thought he gave a great call-out to his family and actually, actually... In case we won, I was kind of looking at that going. I thought it was deeply inspiring how we did it, so thank Harry for that. Okay, Daniel?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I brought my parents up there, um, my wife. um, It was an honour to get the award with them there as well. I think I dropped out of college. They were both teachers, so... um, They thought you'd come to nothing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it was nice to, to win the award and have them there and help us celebrate it.
1: Now, tell us a little bit about uh, Teamwork. The company was founded in 2007. I know you're you're based in uh, Cork yeah. and you're involved in the software business as well. But just mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the genesis of the company. How did it come together?
3: So, Peter, and myself met in college. What were you studying? Uh, I initially went for electronic engineering. I missed computer science by 10 points, but found my way into the computer science degree course. Um, I was a little disillusioned with the people in the course. They were there to get the degree and not because they love computers, which I did. Um, down the labs, I met Peter and we struck it off with both the same interests. And then we both, uh, the internet was kicking off around that time, 97, I think it was. In 99, we both left college and we set up a consultancy and we were doing bespoke kind of websites and uh, internet applications for the likes of Pfizer and Lilly and Little and... Um, we got really, really busy as a consultancy and needed an application to manage the business. And that's where uh, the idea for Teamwork really took hold. And we went to Hell for Leather building that application and then launched it as um, software as a service where people come on, low touch with the credit card, pay for the service. We never hear from them and they use the product. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Okay, Peter, what exactly is the product?
2: Right, so uh, Teamwork.com helps any company in the world be more efficient and organized. Mm. Simple as that. Uh, we do that. We have three products at the moment. One is all about um, your work management. One is help desk software. And the last bit is team collaboration software. So all the three different products, you can use them individually. But if you use them together, you get massive efficiencies. And we have, um, we're have we doing something right because we have 24,000 customers all around the world who love our software, including some of the biggest brand names in the world that we're very proud to say, you know, Spotify, Disney, uh, Netflix, eBay, PayPal, so
1: on. Mm. Yeah, Okay, we might just come back to them in a moment. Yep. But just explain to me uh, what kind of problems companies have that you then solve. So every
2: company could be more efficient. I mean, every company has, you might have a task to do that you can't do until Mary gets her task done. And Mary can't do it until she gets the files from George. You know, So it's that, that kind of sequence. We tie it all together so you work on the most important stuff at any given time. And instead of you kind of digging in emails for those files that have gone AWOL, that have gone missing or that, that email that a customer sent you two months ago that is now important, everything's in the project, in one place. We centralize everything so that you're incredibly organized. And then our help desk product, every company who kind of gets pretty big probably has some sort of help desk function. So we have a centralized inbox where you can answer the tickets that come from the customer. But the amazing thing is when a ticket comes in and you need to follow up on it, you can create a task right there without leaving the product. And then when the task gets completed over in the project management software, it automatically now informs the customer that that work has been completed for them.
1: So in terms of the help desk, I mean, are we talking small and medium-sized companies? I mean, you would imagine that Netflix would have their own team of whiz kids who yeah, could so solve any problems that So one of the things, I
2: mean, when we initially built Teamwork, we built it for the size company we were. We were a tiny company. We were seven or eight people. And it's as we've evolved as a company, we've evolved our suite of uh, software and added features that kind of make it more uh, more applicable to a bigger company. So we actually have everything from one-man wedding planners running his business on Teamwork to Disney running an entire huge arm of the business on Teamwork products, which is pretty cool. Uh, We are probably deliberately trying to move a bit more up market over recent years because we're we're getting massive traction with big companies and there's huge opportunity there.
1: Right, okay. Daniel, tell us how you get your foot in the door. How is it? A small uh, Irish company, let's say, um, gets its foot in the door with big names like Disney and Netflix and Spotify and PayPal and eBay, e- eBay and so on. I mean, these are internet giants, uh, essentially.
3: Yeah, they're, they're massive companies. They're companies, um, we use their products, so it's, um, mm. we're really proud that they're using our product, now something that we developed uh, in Ireland or ourselves. Um, usually we find that maybe somebody, they're kind of under pressure with their own workload inside in these places, and they might look for an application to help them get more efficient and organized. So they'll find a team of projects and they'll bring it in and somebody else might see it inside and say, oh, what's that? And they might use it in their department. And next thing you know, you've got a couple of departments in a big company like Disney using it. And uh, we're in there is like... Is
1: that kind of casual? Is that casual? It's as it's casual ca- as that, I think. It's not a tender process? You're not pitching against other software no, companies? I think
3: the, the barrier to entry is so low that people can just adopt these tools and if they like it, they use it. And if they don't like it, they can move off into another platform then. I mean, most of these products like ours uh, on the self-service side, you just go to the website, you put in your credit card, you use it, you pay monthly, you cancel when you want. And um, when we move upper mid-market kind of enterprise then with the Disney's, You've got various departments using it, and next thing they have to get, you know, we have to be put on their approved vendors list, so you have to go through the the pen test, security audits, all that kind of stuff like that to... to well, um, I might
2: just add in here, I think the world of software has changed. So in the old days, it was the the CTO went hunting for the software and declared from the top, this is what we're using. In the new age, you have the staff deciding what we're going to use, and the CTO is struggling to keep up, and they're they're looking for vendors that are... That are trustworthy and have great security audits and so on. So typically, one or two people or a small team tries teamwork, loves it, and it kind of grows from there, and eventually ends up taking over the whole company. And all of your business is outside Ireland, or most of it is outside Ireland. The vast majority of it. So I think we're sixty-five percent North America, uh, and then scattered all around the world. Right. Okay. How
1: do so, you guys? How, how do you guys manage that from a base in Cork? Um.
3: I suppose we've always been fanatical about our customer support. Um, and in the last few months, really, we've kind of expanded into 24-7 customer support. Mm. So we've got teams of people uh, supporting our products. We have two new products coming next year, so we'll be expanding our support team, uh, possibly out of Belfast, and we'll cover the whole world for,
1: uh, 24-7. What about Silicon Valley? Are you uh, Have you eyes on a move into somewhere like Silicon Valley or I London don't... or Paris or, you know, one of these... Hotspots for...
2: We are absolutely going to where the talent is. I mean, so we have opened office locations all around the world. Uh, We deliberately skipped Dublin because we think there's too many people fishing in the same pond. But we opened an office in Belfast recently. We've opened an office in, um, in Boston, in Buenos Aires, in Barcelona, in Amsterdam. So we're going to where the talent is. There's different reasons we're going to different places. Sometimes it's talent. Sometimes it's to be near our customers. For Boston, it's to be near our customers. We're building a big sales team function there. So we will go around the world. We're not... You know, we're based in Cork, but we see ourselves very much as an international company.
3: And sometimes the, like, developers that we would hire, I mean, there's great talent over in Brazil. And uh, if we hire three people over there and give them a co-working space, if that grows into a team of 10, we might look at a permanent office in that location then, you know. So, um, yeah, we, yeah, as Peter said, we will go where the talent is.
1: Okay, and... Let's just contextualize the size of the business because I know it's a it's a fast-paced business uh, certainly over the last couple of years you've grown at about what forty percent uh, per year and uh, we ran a story saying that you're targeting annual revenues of uh, fifty million dollars by the end of twenty twenty one you've two hundred staff at the moment.
2: yeah, so we have two hundred thirty staff now uh, this year we'll probably hit twenty three million dollars. we were hoping to hit twenty five. But um, we, we were targeting 40% growth this year. It looks like we'll come in around 35% growth, okay. uh, which isn't too bad. But um, what's really exciting is we have two new products. We've invested everything back into, into product and into growth, reinvested all our profits. Two new products launching at the end of January, at the end of February, which we're very, very excited about. We think it's going to help enhance the entire suite, um, but also really help us capture a lot more sales. Uh, the other exciting thing is we have a new brand update coming out in January. Which we think will kind of help modernise the entire company.
1: Okay. What What do you mean
2: by a brand update? So we, we, as you probably know, we bought the we bought the domain name Teamwork.com for half a million euro back in the day. So we're obviously not going to throw that away. But we're just a brand refresh. We're going to have new logos. We're going to tell the story better. We're going to explain how what differentiates us. I mean, we're fanatical, for example, about our customer support, but we don't do, if you look at our website right now, we probably don't get that across as well as we should. We also believe in this concept of the business operating system. We believe that in the future, companies are going to want to sign up for a suite of software that integrates together tightly with a company they trust. And we want to be the market leader in this new
3: category. I think as well, our brand currently, I mean, it was something that two of us came up with, you know, 11 years ago, kind of evolved it without any kind of professional team looking at it and as we're growing our suite of products as well uh, the brand just isn't scalable as it is right now
1: right okay now you talked about back in the day you you spent half a million on um, uh, taking up the on purchasing the Mm -hmm. uh, teamwork.com URL yeah Uh, essentially where'd you get that money from because you've never raised any
2: equity well yeah so we in the early days we were a consultancy and this was a side project side project became our full time business uh, we were always very careful with money. We never even considered VC. I think deliberate, we were probably just wonderfully naive back in the day and never even considered that. I, I
3: always thought VC was like you borrow money and you'll have to pay that money back. We just didn't understand the concept of it. And I think as we bootstrapped the business as well with we a consultancy, we never actually needed the money and we didn't know what we'd do with the money. So you always we had, had good cash flow. You we were did. always we're able able profitable to keep it moving yeah, along. we did. And yeah. we always said that we'd keep a buffer in the bank as well for a rainy day. And um, that's how. Oh, we had that money then for the... we oh, were very, very cautious with money. I mean, we took on a few staff, but we paid ourselves
2: relatively low wages back in the day and did a lot of hard work. And because it was sweat equity, I suppose, we put the, the hard blood, sweat and tears into the business. But we were, we were fortunate that we got to the point where we had saved up about um, $530,000 in the bank account. And then I went away and blew it all in the word. domain <laughs> main name, teamwork.com. And it, it, and took, it took, me, took me two days to build car. up the courage to tell Dan I'd spent all our money on a, a domain name. <laughs>
1: Well, it's obviously uh, it's obviously paid off. Um, are you better paid now, uh, perhaps? Slightly, slightly, yeah. slightly. Slightly, all right. Okay. <laughs> so what's the plan for the business? I mean, where do you see this business in uh, five or 10 years' time?
3: So we do have a 10-year vision and we want to get to 450 million in annual recurring revenues. Um, that's a figure that we calculate out based on our current growth rate and projected over 10 years. To get there, we'll need a suite of 10 products. We have three currently, two launching next year. Brand refresh, as Peter mentioned. And um, more staff, yeah. you know, more so staff to do so that. To achieve the stream, we're probably going to need three times a the thousand staff. Right you know? right now, yeah. A thousand staff, right? So
2: we we've plans for a four hundred person campus in Blackpool and Cork. Uh, so we're we bought a plot of land there for a couple of million two years ago, and uh, big plans ahead.
1: And you might have seen in the uh, media yesterday that there's a an old ferry terminal in Dunleary that was being. Eye'd up as a, a tech innovation hub and I the, developer, there, the developers uh, cancelled those plans. Yeah. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you in Dun Absolutely, we always <laughs> wanted
3: to ship, didn't we? We did, yeah. <laughs> nice.
1: And are you going to finally bite the bullet in terms of raising capital? Um,
2: so l- I think we've, we've kind of grown up a lot in the last few years. I mean, we're, we're just two developers. Now we're, we're, I think we're a pretty good CEO and CTO. Uh, as part of that, we're, we're kind of looking at the path other companies have taken to get to, to large multiples because our biggest... Our biggest challenge is time. So yeah, I'm no doubt that we'll get to the, the big numbers, the 100 million, the 200, the 450 million revenue. But will we do so in the next seven years? Uh, to do that, we might have to look take on some debt. We might have to um, look at VC. So nothing is ruled out.
1: What about an IPO?
3: As Peter said, nothing is ruled out. But the way we look at it is there are other companies on this trajectory as well to get to a business operating system and software, a suite of software. And if we can get there faster, then maybe we'll have to look at some kind of way of getting uh, finance and because it costs us one point five million on average to build a product and that won't see revenue for two years. So being, being
2: big strapped. investment. In the so you future, need money, yeah, sure. We yeah. do. But in terms of IPO, to, to answer your question there, I mean it's I think it's absolutely on the cards. I think we'll have to give all our staff a payday to some extent in a few years' time. You know, the guys that have stuck with us over the years, we've given ten percent of the
3: company to our staff and we'd like to see them do very well. Yeah, and some of our staff have been with us for the last 10 years. They've put in the hard effort. They've been on low wages in the early days and they've gone through, you know, sacrificing themselves and we'd like to reward them. So. Unless you come into work on a Saturday and you might find somebody there because
2: they just had the passion. There was that one thing they wanted to get done, you know, and you've got to reward that effort.
1: Yeah, sure. Just tell us a little bit about your own teamwork. I mean, as a leadership team, who does what? Is, is one of you a good cop, bad cop? Uh, how, how does it work? So um. I think I'm
2: I'm the visionary that comes up with the crazy ideas. And then, then burst my bubbles, and
1: he yeah, can,
2: this reality. Be
3: grounded. Maybe, <laughs> um, I think over the last eleven years, we've learned how to work well together, and we know who can do things better than the other person in some situations, and we know how to how to talk to each other, and that's a very important thing that we learned over the last. Eleven years, yeah, especially. I mean, I call Dan my work wife.
2: <laughs> both our wives do. You know, we've been working with each other a long time. We've learned each other's quirks. We've learned how to make this work. We've put a couple of rules in place, like never ever argue over text, is one of the the best
3: things we ever agreed to do. I think that. That's yeah, I mean, we used to have screaming matches because color of a link, color of a link. You know, but when we sat down and actually looked at why why are we screaming each other, especially in front of staff, it's because we all we just both want the same thing. We both want the best possible
2: result. We might disagree on yeah, that is. Yeah. But I
3: think what really helped as well is just one day, a couple of years ago, we,
2: we went away and locked ourselves in a room and we said, we're not leaving here until we have an agreed vision for the
3: company. That was yeah. about three years ago and we'd never done that. And, um yeah, you know, we locked ourselves away for eight hours and said, what kind of company do we want to be and what kind of people do we want in the company? And that's where we came up with our core values. No. Five years ago, if you asked us about core values, we would have
2: said we punch you if, in the face. Yeah, like core values, we just make software. offer; it's simple. But but now we realize how important
3: that is. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're using them you now to hire people. We're using them to fire sure. people. We're using them for performance reviews, and um, we've yeah, distilled works. them all down to one very important one, and that's don't be a dick. And that's something that's very important to us
2: okay. in our company.
1: Have many people been fired? I mean, for, years, not, but, I mean,
3: I would say in the early days we probably made mistakes in hiring. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, so sometimes. Yeah. Okay, it happens. We might not be the company for them and they sure. may not be the person for us. Okay. That's not, that's natural.
1: Yeah. And finally, um, just what piece of advice, what would be the key piece of advice you would give an aspiring young entrepreneur in Ireland who's looking at starting out on the long road that you've already travelled? Uh, I,
2: I have a couple of things.
1: Go <laughs> Take it away. <laughs>
2: Uh, if I forget anything you can follow up. with uh, that. first of all, SaaS is the best business model in the world, so I'd encourage I'd encourage everybody to give it a go and you can take on the world from Ireland. So absolutely give it a go. Um you gotta target the world. Ireland is too small a market. Birmingham. I see this mistake all the time. It's so frustrating when I see new SaaS companies targeting the Irish market. It's just too
3: small. You gotta think global from the get-go. And also to be consistently learning, always learn. You can never know enough. And there are lots of resources out there. There are lots of companies that have been through what we've done who have made all the mistakes that we can learn from and save ourselves a couple of mistakes as well, you know. So anybody out there, when tough or when times are tough, don't give up either. Well,
2: if I can just say one last thing, I would say that... Um that a lot of companies are kind of forced into the venture-backed model from the get-go. I would say there's never been a better time to have a bootstrapped company. It's never been cheaper and uh, easier to get it off the ground. There's never been more resources. You have people who have built companies up to hundreds of millions in revenue who are p- revealing all the secrets online at websites like Saster.com. The learning is out there,
3: and you, you can do it. And for SaaS software, the likes of Azure or AWS, you know, it's never been easier to, to make online software. There's a network now called SAS Network Ireland
2: for indigenous SaaS companies, and it's where you can get advice, and you can ask the people that are ahead of you in the journey, and uh, everyone in the in the organisation is committing to making themselves available to anyone else for two
3: hours a month. So free. Advice. It's not. It's not a big time drag. You don't have to go to all these kind of events. It's just make yourself available. Sure. If you've been through it, help somebody else.
1: And If you have the passion for it, I guess I guess you can succeed. Gentlemen it's been a pleasure talking to you, uh, Peter Daniel. Congratulations again on winning the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Of course, you go on to a bigger stage next year when you travel to Monaco uh, to participate on behalf of Ireland in the World Awards, and we wish you every success in that. Very much. Thank, Thank you very much. much. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be joined by Cliff Taylor and Dennis Staunton of the Irish Times who will explain the key elements of this week's UK budget. Back in a few moments. Only 29%
0: of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.au or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015.
1: Welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, on Monday, UK Chancellor Philip Hammond unveiled a Brexit-proofed budget that also proposed a controversial 2% digital service tax. Joining me to tease out the implications of all this are Cliff Taylor and Dennis Staunton of the Irish Times. Dennis, you were covering the UK budget for the newspaper earlier this week. Just tell us what the main provisions in it were.
0: Well, the main background to it is that Philip Hammond, the Chancellor, found that he had an awful lot more money to spend, and he spent it all. So what happened was that the uh, Office for Budget Responsibility it revised its uh, forecast of what uh, of how much uh, the UK was going to have to borrow, and it found that, uh, that Philip Hammond had uh, more than £68 billion uh, pounds extra to spend over the next five years. And what he decided to do was to spend ninety-seven percent of it, and a lot of that was on funding for the National Health Service, uh, a billion pounds for defence, and also then some, uh, you know, easing of income tax so that uh, some allowances were shifted, and uh, you know, in in such a way as it it gave uh, middle-income earners a tax cut, uh, and a little bit earlier than planned. But what he uh, he clearly didn't do. Was was to uh, continue this uh, mantra that the Conservative government has been has had really since uh, the beginning of this decade, where they were talking about constantly getting uh, the deficit down, balancing the budget. There was no talk of that at all. And, uh, and so what he said was that, uh, you know, repeating what Theresa May had been saying, that austerity is coming to an end, although he didn't actually say it was over.
1: Yeah, okay. Cliff, one of the main elements was the digital services tax, which has been proposed. It's been on the, the blocks for a while. Um, he's proposing a 2% uh, charge on the UK revenues of digital giants, and it's been speculated that this might generate uh, £400 million a year. Now, he's moving ahead of this uh, international project to try and put some framework around the taxation of these uh, digital companies, and it could potentially have
4: implications for Ireland, couldn't it? It could, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think... What Philip Hammond did will be watched very closely here. Uh, basically, the background is, as you say, that there's been an international move uh, led initially by the OECD to try and get more money from the big tech companies. We all know the story, uh, the, the tiny amounts of tax that a lot of these companies have been paying. The problem has been that the OECD work has kind of run into the sand a bit. It's still going, but it's going very slowly. And the political pressure has built up. Uh, particularly in Europe, to do something about this. And that's manifesting itself in two ways. Uh, one is that countries, including Britain, are looking at, at going ahead on their own, off their own bat, if you like. So Spain has, has done something similar. A few other countries are looking at it. And this, you're right, this could cost Ireland uh, some revenue because if the big companies, uh, the Googles, the Facebooks, pay more tax in the markets where they sell to consumers, they'd be paying a little less. Uh, in Ireland uh, where, where the European headquarters are where they have traditionally
1: paid uh, kind of rose our competitiveness position as well because these companies might say well you know we're in Ireland for the low tax or to a large degree
2: yep. uh, if
1: we're going to be taxed in Britain or Spain or wherever it is sure we might as well just set up there
4: yeah certainly the, the old model of uh, of, of tax advantage and offering companies a tax advantage is slowly breaking down. There's no doubt about that. We still have a 12.5% rate, which is still at the lower end of the spectrum. But as you say, you're right. If a lot of the money is taxed in the big markets, then the advantage of that is further eroded. The real issue for us here is not what Philip Hammond has done. The real short-term issue is what the EU is doing. There's a proposal in Brussels, very much supported by France, to introduce a digital sales tax. Pretty much the same same model, as Philip Hammond has said. Ireland is standing against it. So far, we've had some support from the Swedes, uh, where Spotify is is, is based, and some of the other Scandinavian countries. Not clear how solid that support is. So this is a big issue that's going to come to a head quickly. Mm. Is the EU going to go ahead with its own digital sales tax? Again, not massive implications financially for Ireland, but the precedent it would set would be very significant. And if Pascal Donahue were to be left isolated, he would face a tricky choice about whether to exercise his veto.
1: Sure, and we're more in favour of the OECD project than uh, in the EU. We are,
4: and frankly, because it's slower um, and likely to be less damaging to our interests. Uh, But I think uh, even the the government here... you know, which has set up a very favourable regime for the multinationals, will see the way the wind is blowing internationally and realise that we're going to have to give some ground somewhere. The question is how to do it in the least damaging way possible. Dennis, just come back to the UK budget in Ireland,
1: we had our budget recently and Pascal Dunne, who uh, d- described it as Brexit ready, whatever that means. Just wondering in terms of the UK budget, is it Brexit ready or could Brexit, a no-deal Brexit, let's say, could it blow a, a massive big hole in Philip Hammond's uh, budgetary plans?
0: Well what the, what Downing Street said is that all you know everything that uh, that he announced and all the commitments that he made this week are going to go ahead regardless there so they're brexit proofed. What he said was that if Britain gets a, a deal a brexit deal uh, a good deal uh, then the you know in his spring statement he could uh, elevate that to a proper fiscal event as they call it and actually maybe have a bit more money to spend because he claims that there'd be a kind of a, a deal dividend if they do a good deal. But he also said then that if there was a no-deal Brexit, that he still has the fiscal firepower to deal with that because you would expect that if there is a no-deal Brexit, that actually what uh, Britain will want uh, and need is some kind of stimulus. I think uh, one of the things, if you look, though, at the at all the numbers that were, re- that were produced this week by the Office of Budget Responsibility and all of the documentation surrounding the budget, one of the fundamental facts is, that you can see is that growth, economic growth in Britain remains sluggish. And uh, and if you compare it with the other big economies and sort of similar economies in the G7, uh, what you see, you, you, it's, it's pretty clear that Brexit has had an impact. And most economists suggest that the impact is that uh, GDP growth is 2.2% lower than it might have been. You know, the economy has grown by 2.2% less than it might have uh, You know, if the referendum had gone the other way. And so uh, you know, if you're going to get a further hit to uh, economic growth with a no-deal Brexit, obviously then all of the calculations uh, in the years ahead go a bit awry.
1: Dennis, what's your sense of where the Brexit negotiations are at the minute? Obviously the backstop is one of the big issues uh, that remains to be resolved.
0: Well, the uh, negotiations, the formal negotiations, are likely to start again next week. Uh, Brussels, uh, the European institutions, go on holiday on Thursday and Friday for all souls, and uh, and they make a long weekend of it. So there's not going to be that much happening until next week. We expect that the negotiations will start again next week. And Dominic Raab, in a letter to uh, House of Commons committee that was published this morning, said that he expects a deal within the next three weeks. And so that would suggest that... Uh, there you know that they feel as if there is a deal to be had having said all of that you uh, as you say it's all around the backstop and how do you find a way of uh, of of agreeing a backstop that satisfies the demands of Ireland and the rest of the European Union that uh, this deal on the backstop on the border has to be, as they call it, all weather. It has to be permanent. It can't have a time limit, and it has to work. You have to satisfy that on the one hand, and then the fact that the uh, the Theresa May's government depends for its survival on the votes of the DUP and the DUP and a lot of Conservative MPs who are not, uh, you know, are simply unionists. They are absolutely determined that there should be. Nothing that looks like a border down the Irish Sea. And at the same time, you have the hard Brexiteers who fear that the backstop could be a way of tying uh, the UK in with the uh, EU uh, in terms of regulations and customs for longer than it would want. So there are a lot of squares, uh, circles to be squared over the next few weeks. And so the first hurdle is that they've got to agree a deal in Brussels difficult enough but there is a lot of pressure to do that then Theresa May has to get that past her cabinet past her party and then through Parliament all quite difficult and they would hope to get most of that done by Christmas
1: uh, Cliff just from the Irish side what's your sense of where do Brexit negotiations lie and the chances of a, a deal or no deal
4: yeah I think as Dennis said obviously there's going to be one big push now a uh, big question about whether there's going to be a special summit in November uh, that will only be called if there's a sense there's enough progress uh, that has been made otherwise it goes forward to December time is getting very short then when you allow for the various ratifications that have to be made in the, in the British Parliament the European Parliament and so on uh, so it gets very shaky if it gets to that stage uh, I think the difficulty for Irish businesses is the, the, you know, the gap between the two different outcomes here is so huge on the one hand we have the risk of a no deal Brexit chaos next year the need to go ahead with very significant investments to for a lot of companies to change their supply chains or position themselves in the UK market, perhaps looking at buying warehousing or even subsidiaries in the UK, as some Irish companies have done. And on the other hand, the possibility that a deal is done or some kind of compromise is reached and a transition period comes in next March, which means nothing much will change for another 21 months. So it's very difficult. And the sense I get from talking to Irish businesses is that they're finally deciding to bite the bullet and go ahead with investments, even though those investments may in in effect not be needed. But they realise, look, we could be waiting until the end of the year for an EU deal and then to see does it go through the UK Parliament uh, we can't wait that long we won't have enough time to react so we just have to go ahead so so, so very tricky situation and the uncertainty itself is very damaging
1: Alright gentlemen we'll leave it there we'll see how that plays out no doubt Brexit will play a part on this podcast in the months ahead my thanks to Cliff Taylor and to Dennis Staunton. Ok that's it for this week from Inside Business my thanks to Peter Coppinger Daniel Mackey Cliff Taylor and Dennis Staunton. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer don't forget, you can get the latest business news straight in your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.